Why do you say that, Father? You aren't afraid, are you? No. But I respect some of the superstitions of others. Often they are founded in fact. Broadcasting live from our Sanctum Sanctorum in Venice, California, this is the Sixth Sense Society. I am your host, Krista, here with our producer, Michael, and we have on our show, we're excited to have back, is Earl Gray Anderson. He's MUFON's State Director of Southern California and is an executive member of MUFON's ERT, which means the Experience Resource Team, and he is working on his first book, The Gray Files, which should be released sometime this year. He's also a published singer, songwriter, guitarist and he's going to lead a discussion today on remote viewing and we have also coming back on the show our friend Matt Abshire and he is a very successful restaurant owner he's the owner of the famous Vitello's rendition room and the Velvet Martini Lounge in Studio City and I think you're also a comedian Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I forgot to say that last time, but he, he's coming on the show because he's also very enthusiastic about this topic and a, a good friend of Michael's. But before we get started, Michael has a few announcements. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to our show again. I'm really excited to be doing this episode. We've wanted to do remote viewing for a long time now. Um, we're going to finish the month next week with a 90-minute magic special, and we do have author Brandy Williams and our witchcraft practitioner, Sandra Inman, and our ceremony ma- magician, Mavius Lynn, on. So great way to end the month. And then we're into October with all our paranormal friends. We're going to have some taps people on, and Holly from Holly's Haunts, and Jessica from Mystic Mittens, and end the show, I think, with Jim McGrath. So it's going to be a lot of fun to get through to the end of the year. And then, and then of course, in December, we're on hiatus for a month. But get all the information on our website, sixcentsociety.com, S-A-X-T-H, all spelled out. While you're there, buy us a coffee on Ko-Fi. But most importantly, click like and subscribe. That really helps us tremendously. So don't want to take up too much time today because this is a big topic and so i'm going to kick it back to you guys so take it away krista and matt (laughs) that's right (laughs) so uh welcome both of you and uh thank you for coming on the show today to talk about this great topic like michael said we've been waiting to do this topic now for quite a while so thank you for being the one to bring it to the show my pleasure very interesting topic and and uh it is close to my heart actually um, I, uh, I've been aware of, of remote viewing for, for quite some time. I, I think that my first, first voyage into that was reading, uh, Ingo Swan's book, uh, Penetration, which is a short volume, but mind blowing. If anybody has not read that book out there and you're interested in this topic, uh, that's a really, really great place to start. I think it's about 130 pages short <laughs> and, it's it's a, a an amazing and and Ingo Swan actually did remote viewing for the CIA and various other government groups. So is so, Ingo um, Swan one of the earlier people that sort of put it on the map? Yes, yeah that that was Ingo. Um, now, uh, the way the story goes is is that the Soviet Union had been dabbling in remote viewing first, and apparently had discovered certain secret sites that we had uh, that uh, they shouldn't have known about. And this was when it came to our attention, I'm sure through this, you know, our spy network, everybody's got one and we have one, of course, as well. 
Um, so we started up experimenting with this apparently way back in the 60s. I've heard that uh, we tried remote viewing uh, the missile sites at Cuba was one mm. of the first like targeted uh, points of interest that we, we were interested in. Um, but back in uh, 1972, Ingo was asked to put together a sort of a control group set of experts uh, that uh, would be working for, it was for the, you know, for the military uh, at the Stanford Research Institute through Stanford University. Um, Ingo was the gentleman who went and, and, and was looking for other people that had gifts at the, or possible gifts at this, you know, at telepathy and ESP and being able to access distant sites remotely. Uh, so uh, folks like Russell Targ, uh, Joe McMoneagle was another uh, strong player. And uh, Hal Putoff, who we still see on the lecture circuit, and I, I guess you know you, you see Joe McMoneagle out there too, pretty pretty often. Uh, but uh, that's kind of where it started. They they came up with a regimen of practices that uh, that were pretty infallible. They they didn't want uh, you know, for instance, Uri Geller. They they were interested in him, but they wound up kind of cutting off their work with him mm. because of his ability to do sleight of hand and things like that. Uh. And, you know, so even though they were getting some really good hits from him, they weren't quite uh, positive that it was coming from where it was supposed to be coming from. Uh, these guys were serious. They would uh, have their the people that were the senders and receivers, he would actually have them sit in a Faraday cage, which uh, disallows for any radio signals or any output input from the outside world uh, to uh, affect the results. Um, in, in one experiment, they sent uh, different senders to, to various sites in San Francisco, <clears throat> like a fountain. Uh, um, some were sent to a windmill farm, actually. Uh, uh, their pool where they were sent and they were sending their thoughts out to the control receiver group that was back at Stanford. And uh, what they would do is use like uh, automatic writing. You'd get into a trance state. goes back to yogi practices, actually remote viewing. If you read the, Ved the Vedic scriptures uh, and in Indian Sanskrit, uh, this is something that yogis uh, could do, apparently. And so you have to be in a meditative state to do it. Um, but they, the, the guys that were receiving these images, they drew like a windmill farm. Uh, the guy that received the image of this pool, uh, he drew everything exactly like it was, but he put two water tanks next to it. And they were going, well, this is all exactly what this guy was sending to you mind to mind except for these two water tanks. We don't know what that's about. Uh, later on, they, they saw an old photo of the site from 1919, and lo and behold, there were two water tanks next to this pool. So apparently, remote viewing ESP telepathy is not constrained by space or time. Uh, and and it's, uh, the whole way it works is through non-local awareness. 
It seems um, like um, also for people that don't know about the method is it, it involves sketching, correct? The sketching yes. and and is and to uh, basically bypass the analytical mind. Is that one of the reasons? Exactly. This is why abstract art can be so moving to us, uh, you know, because it's going beyond language and even beyond uh, the visuals that we're used to. And it hits something different and deep within us and, uh, you know, makes it more than just a bunch of scribbles or paint splatters, you know. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a deeper world that's out there and it's also within us. We're part of that. That's the whole idea of non-local um, communication non-local uh having a sense of being part of the whole rather than well for instance here's here's a quote from albert einstein you may have heard of him he said a human being is part of the whole entity called by us as the universe a part limited in time and space he experiences himself his thoughts and his feelings as something separate from the rest which is a kind of optical delusion of consciousness. <laughs> uh, Leonardo da Vinci, he said, develop your senses, especially learn how to see. Realize that everything connects to everything else. And I, it's that, that sense of reality. I mean, physics bears this out, you know, since we've learned about quantum physics and about how every point in the universe is actually connected to every other point in the universe that space and time are just kind of illusions or as, as Einstein called them delusions that we've sort of settled upon as humans um, that, that limit us and remote viewing ESP telepathy and all the other special arts uh, that are related to this. Uh, they're pretty much, in that same uh, milieu of, of, of thought that every single point in the universe is connected to every other point and that distance and time are irrelevant. Yeah. I always thought it was interesting, any you know research that I did where I looked into remote viewing is that you only, like what you were just saying earlier, notice that it has come about almost like given birth to, at least in our you know, popular culture during the Cold War. Uh, because it was a remnant of that, you know, so that we found out that Russians were, were working some of these things. And then, you know, of course, we were in this, you know, <laughs> I'm taller than you kind of battle the whole time. And so anything they did, we would try to figure out and do as well. But this, I think, goes beyond that, right? Like you have Edgar Casey, you have a lot of people probably not even ever written about in history that did these types of practices on a regular basis as well, right? Sure. You know, this is my feeling about it. Uh, we were talking a little bit about this before we went on air. But uh, I, I feel like, and, and, and a lot of people are talking about this, that our senses were kind of honed down by evolution. And, and maybe society and, and religion and things like that helped this constraint of, of our senses to and, and, and honing them down to the five that we usually, you know, acknowledge. Uh, so, but, but it goes back to when we were still swinging in the trees and predation was our greatest concern. Uh, and, and so if you look at our senses, it's kind of about survival, threat assessment, you know, so we can, you know, pattern recognition. This is why we see faces in the clouds. This is why we see, you know, you look at a car bumper and the two, 
brake lights, you know, yeah. that I know. Yeah. It's like faces on the freeway um, because we're hardwired to look for threats. And that was the threat, you know, is, is a predator that uh, might eat us. Uh, it, it, it's honed down to threat assessment, uh, mating and food pretty much. And everything else, whatever gifts that we had originally that nature gave us just kind of fell by the wayside and went dormant. And if you think of it that way, uh, humanity is kind of disabled as, as a, a species. I mean, we've, we've, we're still working on, you know, that which served us well when we were in the trees trying to keep away from lions and stuff, you know? Yeah. But uh, it, these, these, senses that are in us these abilities that we're born with uh they can be re-energized they can be turned back on and they can be strengthened through practice uh this is what i've been told by people that do this regularly mm. um and i'm i'm blessed to know a few people that that do this you know for i have one friend that works for the fbi and does remote viewing for them Another friend, uh, Ann Castle, who's solved murders, cold cases by remote viewing and finding bodies for, for the police departments of various counties. Uh, and it works. Uh, she, she was trained, I believe, at the Monroe Institute. I mean, I know the Esselin group yeah. has, you know, done some workshops at this. Uh, but I think a lot of it goes back to the Stanford Research Institute. And, and that was, you know, 1972 is when that, you know, Ingo Swan kind of mm -hmm. was the guy that, that put this together. And they did interesting experiments and they had very interesting hits. There's one that really I, I, I love. 1972, we were sending the Pioneer 10 probe to Jupiter. We had not gotten any close-up pictures of Jupiter as of yet. So they tried an experiment. They had Ingo Swan remote view Jupiter before the probe mm. got there. And then they could compare what he saw and what the probe photographed. Well, he said that he saw a ring around Jupiter. And he was getting real frustrated. He said, I think I went to the wrong planet. I think <laughs> I was remote viewing Saturn by mistake because there was a distinct ring around that planet. And of course, when the Pioneer probe got there, they found a very, very thin, dark, uh, you know, debris field around Jupiter, a perfect ring. Hmm. And, uh, you know, Ingo Swan saw that before NASA did. That's really So that's cool. how impressive this thing is. Yeah. What is the difference in, in your, maybe there isn't a difference um, between clairvoyance and remote viewing, because it, it, it seems like they want to at least separate it by the terminology and i'm just curious is is there really a difference in your mind or not i i don't know that there's a difference i think that i mean again we were talking about this the basis of science was originally alchemy you know <laughs> and uh the scientific you know public really would like to have this great division between what they consider superstition and they consider hard science but uh it was like, uh, oh, there's a book called uh, Disturbing the Universe that came out around 1979. And the way that the author described science now is, is that the scientists climbed up the side of this cliff and they got to the top of it and they peered over. And there is, you know, a, a guru and a yogi and, and guys in robes. <laughs> and they're saying, what took you? And that's pretty much like it is. 
<laughs> because yeah. I mean, we've found out that you know every point in the universe indeed is is uh, you know they call it spooky action at a distance in physics. Yeah, but, uh, you know, a particle here can can actually affect what happens to its counterpart particle uh, in in the Andromeda galaxy. You know, yeah, for instance. That reminds and, me of, uh, I had a, a teacher, Kempo Carter Rinpoche, who was definitely a master. And there was one time I was at this um, monastery. Uh, there was a little bookstore at the monastery. And there was this little tiny Buddha statue that I was going to buy. It wasn't that much. And I was looking at it. Then I put it back into the store. And then, I don't know, it was like a couple hours later. So I went to say goodbye to him. I was visiting, doing some workshop there. And he gave me that exact Buddha statue. He, he was incredible. He was very low-key about anything psychic. He would have never said anything, but there were, there were much more extraordinary stories about him than what I had. But he, and I was like, oh my God. And even at the time, all I said was, oh my God, that's the one I wanted. <laughs> and I, I didn't even like, wow. He didn't see it. You know, he didn't know. And um, so it always, I just reminded me of that story. I'd forgotten about it, but he, he definitely we've, had some abilities. We've, we've all had, you know, experiences that we can't explain. You know, I, I know that I've had my butt saved a couple of times by just knowledge I shouldn't have had, or synchronicity has brought knowledge to me that that uh, kept me, you know, from, from saved me from a bad situation mm -hmm. where somebody hit me in a car accident. There were no witnesses, just the guy with his girlfriend on his lap that he was playing tonsil hockey with <laughs> in the middle of a rare snowstorm in Los Angeles. And the guy hit me front on. Uh, and I, I was working in a hospital at the time. I was putting the guy's traction set up. Uh, he's talking on the phone and said, did you hear about so-and-so's uh, son and his girlfriend? Can't believe it they, that he bought a brand new car you know, the father's a lawyer, you know, and but uh, he hadn't gotten insurance yet on it. And the son hit somebody head on and <laughs> it was his fault. And so, I mean, how does information like that come to us? It felt like this dispensation. It mm. shouldn't have happened. It was too great. You know, the coincidences were great. Right. And, uh, you know, I was able to call the guy and say, hey, I'm sorry to hear about your dad's car. And I'm sorry to hear about your dad's insurance, you know, not being up yet. And when are you going to pay me for the damage on my car? <laughs> you know? yeah. Now, that was arcane. That was just like a weird, you know, synchronistic thing. Right. You know, either. I don't know how that kind of thing happens. We've all had. uh moments where we felt some telepathic connection or 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 you know voice tells you to not not go on that airplane heard that a few times mm -hmm. yeah and it's weird that it seems like we all have grown up with a series of these events that have happened within our lives when it's it's kind of obvious we're still very much tapped into the akashic sometimes you you know it's super common you'll think of somebody and then the phone rings right. you know and it's like well that was right before the phone rang you know that i weirdly thought of this person you know and that we're all there but it's how much focus that we put on it you know just like the way that i was told is that we all have the ability but we don't ever use it or train it so it doesn't really de fully develop in the same way that you know, some people are better at it than others. Like, and I'm sure just like everything else in the Cold War, whenever Ingo was putting a lot of this stuff together, it was trying to take a scientific factual basis of whatever this weird thing is that we know of and let's put it through all the ringers to try to see if we can nail something solidified down and in a way to use it, you know? 
And the same way that you can have a, you know, um, someone who trains once they are in their 30s at like trying to play the piano or a musical instrument, and they can get pretty decent at it, you know, by the time they hit 35. And then you can have a four-year-old who's on stage just mind-blowing everyone, you know, because they're already kind of tapped into that and they just immediately went into doing it. I think that's the way that I was explained remote viewing is that we all have this ability, but to varying levels amongst everybody and whoever works on it, you know, is those who can actually take it and develop into something that can be useful. You know, and I think that's where it's hard in today's day and age because you have some people who do devote their lives to working on these things and they do get called by whether it's the CIA or the FBI or even police departments to go help, you know, solve cases. And you have others who are just kind of bombarded with this that never develop it at all, but they have these weird instincts that tend to happen all throughout their lives. There's a noise to signal ratio to this thing. And we live in a very noisy Mm. society right now. You know, every second is filled with the phone doing this. And I'm, I'm as guilty of, of it as everybody else. But uh, you can't do that and, and get uh, this sort of information from the universe. You mentioned the Akashic Record, and I, I'm a firm believer in that. You know, there's sort of like this library of knowledge. Maybe it's the collective uh, human consciousness that we're talking about. You know, it's where myth and everything else, you know, Joseph Campbell, of course, the hero with a thousand faces, was very interested in this sort of thing. And uh, it comes up a lot in ufology, especially in high strangeness cases where, you know, people will have some sort of arcane knowledge that they shouldn't have, but that, you know, that came down from somewhere. Uh, musicians are aware of, of this ability. Uh, the Grateful Dead, okay, old deadhead here, but <laughs> it's a very, very good example. They would, of course, they would use substances to, to do this initially, but they got to the, where they could do it regardless is where they became one animal uh their minds they were able to blend and their songs would go one into another into another with no pause no communication between them no set list uh but they were working with uh they were working telepathically um i believe that they had read a book by uh, theater sturgeon and Darn, I can't remember the name of it. But it was about, the the novel's premise was these five sort of miscreants in society, but they all had these telepathic gifts. And they came together and they became something almost godlike uh, with all these psychic abilities and, and, and uh, you know, able to uh, transport objects <laughs> with their mind, and do apportations and things like this. And uh, so the Grateful Dead took that as a model for the band, and uh, mm-hmm. and it worked beautifully. I mean, anybody that's ever listened to their old concerts, uh, sometimes, I mean, they would turn on a dime, and nobody came up with that idea. It wasn't like they practiced that uh, segue from one song into another that just suddenly, bam, happened. But there was a communication that, that they uh, they attained. And apparently that's what they still kind of expect from their members. If you want to play in, in Dead and Company, I guess was the newest, uh, you know, way that band, you know, they keep it going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think there's just two original members now. 
but you you have to be able to read the other musician. It's improvisation, improvisational jazz, same thing. That's what I was going to say is it reminds me a lot of jazz and even mm-hmm. in the comedy world, improv, where, mm-hmm. you yep. know, you, you do a lot of mind meld practices before you even begin to go to do a show, you know? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. <laughs> I, I wanted to get back to what you Good said um, earlier about how it's more difficult because of the noise, because I was reading in, um, and what are some of the sort of things that help to remote view? There was in Real Magic by Dean Radden. He gave this list that was um, developed by Rhea White in the 1960s, um, who was a parapsychologist. And they're, they're stuff that you would think, are, they're kind of no-brainer, but these are like five things that help remote viewing. One was relax. Two was stabilizing the mind. Three was directing the mind. Uh, wait with expectation and then look for a feeling of conviction. So I thought that would be an um, interesting thing to talk about for people that might be interested in trying remote viewing, even just for fun. You know, what, what would you recommend? Because I know you also teach it in your class. Funny, I just had a, a message from one of my students just went across the screen. <laughs> so, um Synchronicity. Yes. Um, well, I, I teach a class in ufology uh, at Otis College of Art and Design, and it is a credited course. You can actually, you know, get a credit in studying about UFOs. Uh, the professor I teach with is Dr. Uh, Dr. Heather Joseph Witham, PhD. Uh, folklorist is what her, her doctor is in, but she she knows that it's more than just lore, you know. Uh, but anyway, we do have one session that we do with the class that's devoted to remote viewing. We talk about the origin of it. We talk about Ingo Swan and Russell Targ and all those guys. And we have the class try it. We, we don't have a Faraday cage for everybody, but <laughs> we'll put half, you know, we'll put like the lion's share of the class on one side and have them try being the receivers. And then a few of us try to be the, the guys that project an image and and heather will bring up a random image on her computer screen that only we can see that is but it has to be something pretty darn distinct you know a red sailboat with uh, a thunderstorm in the background or or a, a very delineated bridge or something with design something that you you know it's not just like I see a tree, you know, the moon, you know. Yeah. No, it has to have has to have some detail. Um, and every time we do this, uh, you know, we'll get into a meditative state. Uh, Heather likes to do this. You know, she has relaxation techniques that she uses, much like you would use in uh, hypnotic regression. Have music that uh, is certain <clears throat> uh, frequency. I think it's the five G or something like mm. that. I, I'd have to look at it, look it up, because <laughs> that's her thing. But uh, anyway, once the class and, and ourselves were, per, you know, very calm, uh, just kind of in a meditative state, uh, then we'll project the image and we'll have the different students draw what they're seeing. And sometimes people are way off. Other times we'll get pretty darn accurate depictions of what we were sending out uh more so than you would get if it was just random mm. you know occurrence so uh it's well, something you would consider you know, a hit right mm-hmm. we've done this three semesters now uh, we haven't done it this semester yet it's probably 
hopefully come in a few weeks, but uh, it'll be interesting to see what we get and what happens there. Would, what would you say is the percentage of something that would be um, more of a hit than something that's completely off base? Would you say it's more than 50% is kind of on track or is it right about 50-50? You know, it kind of depends. It depends on the people. It depends on, on, you know, again, it's that noise to, you know, signal ratio. And some people are more attuned than others. Yeah. Uh, it is a gift, <laughs> although I think we all can do it. Um, I, I'm, I'm hard-pressed to give you a hard number because it's varied through from, from class to class. Sometimes it. it's been like 50%. Uh, other times it's just been a couple of people out of, you know, say 30 kids that that got the image uh but we always seem to have somebody that will catch the image you'll at least have you, you'll see that there was some information that was passing there and that's that's what remote viewing is all about it's interesting too i'm curious about like if you you know it's like walking into a library right you can move into a different space where there is information there's a lot of different information and to be very specific about one stream of information, I think is probably another level up of even thinking about, you know, how to acquire that specific knowledge. I mean, when we were talking about earlier about playing the music, I wonder how much vibration and frequency has to do with amplifying your own personal antenna to be able to get there. I know that a lot of artists in the past have talked about, you know, they're not the ones creating their art, yes. you know, even Michael Jackson was very big on the music that he made. Essentially, he would, in a way, Prince was very similar. They would work to the point of being in a trance almost, whether it was through frequency or vibration or whatever it was that they were doing. And then after a while, it just seems like they would open up a tap that would come yes. to them. And then all of a sudden they would be in this creation space of processing whatever information was coming through and putting it down into manifest. The more you do it, the easier it becomes. And there's this pipeline that you feel. As a, as a songwriter, I, I don't do so much of it now. My time is all taken up with UFOs and experiencers. It really is. Uh, I'm hoping I find more time to play again soon, but I don't know. I'm just so busy with this. But when I've been very actively writing songs and, and doing my thing, um you know, I, there was a point where, you know, I was trying to, I was hoping to write a song every week. And that was my goal. And that was a goal that I usually attained. And the way it feels after a while is sometimes you'll feel writer's block where something feels clogged. Um, and generally, you know, you have to kind of do some self-introspection or, you know, some people have even sought out, you know, psychologists and stuff. I know Bob Dylan had to do that because he had a writer's block. He wound up writing a, uh, his album Blood on the Tracks, or, or no, it was Desire, that album, mm. with his psychologist friend. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that helped him get past the, the block. But uh, but it seems like there's this, this record of everything that's out there. And there's sort of this, this mental Google that you can get that, that can find that precise thing that that and, and it already exists. And I, I like my favorite songs that I ever wrote. Uh, I always had the feeling of some other that it was coming from, uh, and and it's it's like the old uh, the old saying that a, a good sculpture will will knock everything out of the stone that doesn't look like George Washington on a horse, right? Mm -hmm. 
and and it comes down to the same thing with songwriting you you uh there there's there's this ideal and this thing that you know is there it's this diamond and you get so you can recognize that and you sort of bring it down you pull it down you know <laughs> and and that's supernatural that's that's not and although maybe you know again maybe it is natural but we think of it as super because we don't usually do that we're we're so used to just you know the physicality and it's outside and, of and our three. norm yeah I think mm-hmm. it, I remember reading a really good description of Mahamudra by someone that actually was English speaking. And I feel like my best poems, it's like they just arise and you you still have to develop your craft. Like I'm one of these people I don't think, except for the exceptional people that maybe they just did it in their last life and they have already developed it so soon. Mm. You still have to develop your skill, especially if you're playing an instrument or something. But there's this sense of something arising out of um, the natural state of the mind. And so I, I feel like my my reading experience, I think we don't give enough credit to the human um, mind, that we don't understand it. Um, psychology barely knows anything about it. In fact, I think the magical mind is, and also you know, mystical mind teachings are way more informative than as much as I've read, especially Jungian psychology. They have some extreme biases, like especially with dreams never being psychic. I can tell you, I've had psychic dreams. Many people have had psychic dreams. Freud had a psychic dream, and we know because he wrote it down. So, I mean, it's like crazy how, how they get in their own way. But I feel like it's just not coming down. I feel like it's something arising from this natural state of the real true mind and not what we think mind is. Hmm. I'm interested in I can go with that. how it relates to ufology, because that to me is a very, very interesting topic in that I think that I'm curious if we had the actual statistics in front of us, if we could look at it, that the people who do work on these types of things, the the people who work on developing the mind and trying to tap into the Akashic themselves or work on, you know, self-hypnosis, remote viewing, are the cases of those being able to witness or see or connect with UFOs higher? You know, and that could also be like you were saying earlier that the the ratio of the signal itself as well compared to the noise. Are these just people who have cleared the noise out enough that now they're able to connect and see with these craft? There are certain people that seem to uh, UFOs, they see them a lot, (laughs) you know, Uh, there's the experience uh, prone personality. Uh, And and I I notice it all the time and, and it's not bogus it's it's a a real thing ingo swan in his book penetration that we were talking about earlier he had a close encounter with uh, an anomalous craft it was a flying saucer came up out of the water um he was told from another guy i guess that did remote viewing to to be at this locale and he went and he, he he saw this and 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 it had quite a profound effect upon him apparently but, um, you know, I mean, it's like the CE5 thing. And, and I, you know, a lot of people misuse that and charge, you know, thousands of dollars to, you know, look meditative and, and all that and, you know, see a little light flash or whatever. But I know a lot of people who are, I guess you would call them sort of mystic-like, who, uh, who uh, feel like 
this is not so much paranormal, but it's part of normalcy that we need to expand our idea of what normal is. At uh, you know, Renario Hernandez, for for instance, uh, he he is the founder of the or, or Edgar Mitchell's uh, who Edgar Mitchell, the astronaut, chose to run the free group when uh, Edgar got uh, was was unwell and and uh, he took over after Edgar uh, passed away. Uh, Renario had a close encounter with a craft that was it was in his room in in their living room. Uh, another time, uh, uh, again, like like Ingo Swan, a, a giant saucer shaped craft was there, and 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 there was a large group of people, and they all saw this thing. Uh, it was not some ethereal uh, thing or you know a atmospheric phenomena. It was it was uh, nuts and bolts. Uh, but, uh, you know, Renario will, is the first person to tell you that, uh, there are different contact modalities and he, he sort of describes it as a wheel and with all these different spokes leading to the same thing in the middle, um, indefinitely telepath, telepathy, remote viewing, um, you know, certain, uh, ayahuasca, certain things are, are actually, uh, part of the same whole. Uh, which we call the phenomenon, but is much larger, I think, than we give it credit for. Uh, some people see that. Other people are kind of stuck in their old kind of 1950s way of looking at it. But I think all this plays into it. And especially, uh, you never hear of an experiencer who has an ET speak to them in word. It's all lying to mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Always. Uh, I have one, you know, you meet interesting people as state director for MUFON. Um, I was introduced to one interesting person who lives among us. Uh, I, I'm not going to go any further than that, but apparently is known of and sometimes used by officialdom for remote viewing and things like that. And, uh, you know, she more or less, she said that humans have this disability and it's worldwide and it's really harming us um, that we need to get that telepathic connection back and to work on that thing. Uh, it may be the only way to save us uh, because you know what? You can't go to war with somebody that you relate to. Mm. If you feel connected to somebody that you see it, that's your brother, or your sister, that, that, that we are all part of this whole, that there isn't this great division. Uh, you're not going to be dropping bombs on those people. You're not going to be aiming ICBMs at them. Uh, and and uh, when you feel that connectedness, you're not going to trash the world, and and it that is what elevates you. I think the the raising your vibration isn't ignoring your emotions, but it's becoming it, it's it's finally seeing things in a quantified sense rather than the old Newtonian everything separate. You know, you drop a rock, it hits the ground, and that's reality. And we see that that's not the way the universe is constructed. We're mostly vacuum. If you took every single human on the planet and you took their atoms and you took the space between the particles, you put them together, every single person in the plant on the planet could would be compounded into the size of a sugar cube. That's how ethereal this world that we live in. I mean, we're already ghosts, <laughs> uh, you know. It, it, but, you know, we think that everything's, you know, you know, the, the solidity and, and, and impenetrable. 
uh, impenetrable. And, and, and I guess that's the whole idea behind Ingo's book, you know, penetration, uh, that things are not impenetrable. Uh, that, that things, there is an ethereal quality to reality itself, almost like a matrix-like quality, uh, make of that what you will. Uh, and when we can see things that way and we lose the distance between each other and we can, you know, not limit the mind's power, um, I think that is what elevates our vibration. That's what makes us uh, better creatures, better humans. And it, I, according to my friend, uh, the, the interesting one I was talking about before, um, this isn't just something that we, you know, it would be nice if we would do. It's essential. It's essential. Well, there, yeah. I, I will say there, there's still this sort of um, snobbishness, stigma, um, having been in one of the few people that have worked their whole life in the metaphysical world and made a living from it. I, I couldn't even acknowledge I, I was a metaphysical person until I was 50. And um, because no matter what people say, it sort of still either puts you in a weird category or, you know, you're kind of a fringe person. Um, and I, it, I was very uncomfortable because I also studied science and was going to be a marine biologist at one point. And uh, I, I find that there's still this, um, like, you look at the remote viewing website of, like, IRVA, International Remote Viewing, and, and all these white men presidents there was one woman and you look at the terror world and and the psychic world there's a lot of women and a few men like michael and there still seems to be i think a big gap between really being interested in how it all works not just remote viewing not just tarot cards not just numerology how does it all because they, they really do belong together there really mm -hmm. shouldn't be a separation. Yeah, I, I get curious a lot about how many things of that nature, um, why they've been separated into being mutually exclusive, as opposed to the fact that for people like us that look into these things, they seem to go together. It's almost like the argument for, you know, most spirituality or religion and science as well. The deeper you go into both, the closer you start to get to things together as opposed to them being opposite. And so the further you go back in history, the more that you also notice that any time that science is studied, it's very closely related to philosophy, spirituality. You know, the further you go back, the more that those are there. But now where we're at, it seems that those things have been divvied up really hard. And it's a chicken and egg, you know, kind of a conundrum where you're wondering, was this a purposeful decision to keep people focused in one way only on material reality that doesn't allow us to tap into the things that we are possible to so we're closed off to that or did it just arise organically out of the way that the culture itself has grown yeah those are quantum physics tells us that the nature of things is magical that it's more aligned to you know magic and alchemy than it is to some hardwired you know, blockish thing that that some, you know, boring God decided to <laughs> yeah. know, concoct. It's all limits and <clears throat> and hard corners, and and it's not that's not the true nature of things. And we're finding that you know every point in the universe is connected with every other point in the universe. That's physics. That's science. That's not didn't come from my tarot deck back there. Um, and and, and using the tarot, <laughs> the tarot yeah. is is a randomizing. And what it does is is it throws random things at you, and it causes you. It's like an ink blot. 
test. You know, my friend Greg Bishop says the same thing about UFOs. He says UFO sightings are like an ink blot. You know, it tells more about the person actually than who is is flying the object sometimes. In fact, it may be a co-creation situation between us mm-hmm. and this other intelligence from another, you know, I, I tend to lead, lean towards interdimensionality as probably the main, uh, you know, source of where uh, anomalous UFOs come from. Although I think that the interstellar thing probably plays into it as well. But, uh, you know, Greg would go a step further and say that we're co-creating these UFOs with this other higher intelligence. I kind of like that. Jacques Vallée liked it. Yeah. He he sat there for Greg's lecture. It was, I believe it was at at the Esalen. That that was at Esalen, I believe. And, and, And Jacques was just like... His, his he was jaw dropped and he came up to to my friend greg afterwards and just told him that uh, he loved the idea of ufos as an ink blot test mm. but there's this interaction between us and the universe we're not separated from it um the idea of the scientists somehow being separate from the experiment was disproved by the double slit experiment you know if the scientists expected light to act like a wave it showed up as a wave if he expected to see a particle would show up as a particle and they had to come up with a, a sort of a bs word for it wavicle which is nonsense word you know it's like <laughs> you know like yeah. jabberwocky <laughs> yeah. right. but, but you know the, apparently alice in wonderland is is more in in tune with what reality really is than mm-hmm. than uh you know what we usually perceive and and you're never separated from an experiment and yeah. I found this as a as a ufologist, as a scientifically based ufologist, grounded in sciences, uh, medical career behind me, you know, bi- you know, the biochemistry and all that, and, and an amateur astronomer since I was uh, a teenager. And uh, but when you think that you're outside of the thing that you are observing, uh, whether it be a UFO or whether it be a, a quark. Uh, you you have a misconception there because there is no distance between you and that object, zero distance. And, and what you think is going to, it's an interactive phenomenon. And science itself and the universe we live in is interactive. And we interact with it, with our minds, mm. maybe our hearts, spirits. You know, it's all, mm-hmm. you know, one. <laughs> and that's, that is how remote work, you know, remote viewing works. Uh, I, I think that's the way that the CE5 thing works when it actually does work. And you bring down a craft like Renario Hernandez has, um, you know, because Renario, I know that he is so grounded in this concept of there not being a separation between us in the mystical and us. And there, there's no such thing as impossible to that man. And uh, I think that's why Edgar Mitchell, the astronaut, shows him as, as you know, the person to take over for him in the free group. And, and uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it's a different way of looking at things. It's, it's outside of the normal realm that you think of when you watch television or the news or whatever, you know, you fill space up with. But, um, but it's the reality. Now, I have a question. Um, is it possible, do you think, and this comes from experience I had, to, if you knew someone could be remote viewing you, to block 
them psychically because uh, as a reader, for instance, sometimes it's harder to read certain people because of their auras are stronger. But I actually thought somebody that I know that's a psychic was and does remote viewing. I thought she was remote viewing me to check me out. I felt it. And I thought, is that even possible? Or am I just imagining that? And I said, supposedly, there are a lot of stories actually uh, on that with people who have remote viewed and gotten themselves good enough that they're like, I want to go check out. I mean, these are everyday people that are learning it, not anybody that is tied to the government, but have done this spiritually for decades. And then they decide what's in Antarctica, you know, and they go to check out a base or something that they want to find. And there are officers that are trained in this that are there and that literally do motions like this and all of a sudden they're kicked out of the building okay yep 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 they they train you to do that too (laughs) yeah i mean i think that that, like a lot of things that were studied during the cold war right that um all of a sudden we know that there was study done on it like you know with uh, the monroe institute and all the information that they gathered there if you look in the public, you know, uh, sector, all you find is that they, they studied it for a while and then all of a sudden it was not like they just didn't put any money towards it anymore. And it just seemed to fizzle. But yet people who do continue to study these things find out that they're still very actively involved in utilizing these tools mm-hmm. in a way. So we're not going to hear about it, I guess. But like they have officers that are very specifically trained in remote viewing to help protect certain areas. Makes sense. I mean, so then it could get really interesting <laughs> if people start developing it and then people start being able to stop people from remote viewing, then what is the next psychic step? <laughs> so what, is, <laughs> what gets developed? There's got to be something yeah, else you can do. Like what something else. It's like besides. one of those Chinese puzzles, you know, you <laughs> yeah. have to keep doing every little bit of it, you know, and that's, well, there you go. That's Probably interesting. She uh, sequence and fractals, you know, and that's the, I think that the universe is based on a fractal uh, equation. Arthur C. Clarke thought so. He, thought, he said the Mandelbrot fractal is God's thumbprint. And it's all about repetition with like tiny differences each time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The alternate Fibonacci sequence of possibilities throughout the mm-hmm. entire universe. Yeah. In a universe of infinite possibilities, there's no limit to your possibilities. Uh, you know, anything's possible. So there you go. Well, have either of you? I do. This is a question I'm curious about um, because I've I've tried to dabble in this a little bit myself. But have you ever had any actual experiences that have shocked yourself, like with remote viewing, where you've attempted to put yourself in a meditative state and you know at least psychically go somewhere? I have never done remote viewing, except for I did, I, I told um, Earl before the show, I did play around with telepathy with this little girl I babysat for, and we had an immediate result, but we were just messing around. I, we didn't even do anything, even though we had a really good result. I, 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 can't, I think I, either she sent the image or I sent, but, but when it was a, a banana, and we had this experience of like, when it connected, I felt like this jolt of energy. And then we just laughed hysterically. (laughs) But I don't even know. It was like a game. We were just, you know, because we were into, I don't know, probably read something somewhere. And I was just finding things to do with her. And But that I've had other psychic experiences, but not, I've never done officially remote viewing. Um, So, which I've I've thought of doing because I like that they do have sort of a a plan, you know, a specific thing that you do and learn and Mm -hmm. I I have had a couple of remote viewing experiences that surprised me. Um, I have a friend in uh, New Mexico who's a known telepath, and we decided to try remote viewing uh, 
and we would communicate like, you know, on, on my tablet, you know, and, and the one person we both would get into a meditative state and then one person would send the other person would receive, right. We'd sort of decide who is doing what. And, uh, did I somehow raise my hand on there? Yes. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how that happened. That, that I remote did. I did yeah. that remotely. I didn't even touch. The, I didn't even touch that. Anyway, um, two different instances. I did not know what his property looked like. I did not Google Earth it. I had no idea. I knew that he lived in New Mexico. That's about it. Um, so he was sending me an image of of his property. Is what I found out. He was sending me. It was his property. And I drew, uh, like, this plane, this ground. I drew a stream. I drew a house here with a little side area. And I drew this blob. <laughs> it was near the fence. And I, I did not know what it was, but it was symmetrical. It looked sort of like, you know, a camel's hump or something, you know, this blob. So I, you know, then we, we finished up and sometimes we'd call each other after we did it. Usually it'd be late at night. So we'd just talk on, on, you know, text each other. And I told him what I saw and I described his property exactly, exactly to the stream, to the fence, to every, you know, every little detail. And I asked him, well, what was that hump thing? And he said, I have a neighbor who's a Navajo Indian, and he had, he built a Navajo hogan, just like their dwelling, which is shaped like like a camel's hump. You uh -huh. know, it's right. perfectly round. You know, <laughs> and that and that's what you were seeing. That's and amazing. that blew me away. Another time, I was the person who was sending, and he was the receiver, and I sent him, uh, I, I had a Paul McCartney album sitting next to me on, on my sofa. So I concentrated on that, and I sent it to him, and he said, it's it's the Beatles. It's something about the Beatles. <laughs> Is it a, it's a record? Is it a Beatles? It's a Beatles album? I said, well, it is a Beatles album paul mccartney's album tug mm -hmm. of war you know <laughs> that was pretty pretty wild so we had a few you know hits like that uh, i think i was a better you know i was better at receiving than 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 sending you know information for some reason but uh, that that's my experience it does work and you can practice it my friend that works for the fbi she she does she does highway telepathy with her kids mm. and her grandkids what they do is uh, if somebody's driving too slow, if they're driving erratically, you don't, you know, flip them half a peace sign. You uh, don't uh, yell at them. You don't think negatively. She said you have to clear your mind first and you can't have any anger there because they'll pick that up before they pick anything else up. So clear any anger you have out and just ask very nicely, could you move your car? Could you drive a little faster? Could you drive a little more safely? Mm. Um, I've been trying this. My wife has even been trying it, experimenting with it, and it seems to work. Mm. Um, you know, and it's better than road rage. Absolutely. Um, and this is just a practical way of of, of learning how to do this, and 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 uh, it, it it gets stronger by practice. So that's that's a kind of a good everyday thing to do in LA for sure. Oh yeah, oh, God. yeah. We made our freeways here just receptors for anger. <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh. 
So do you have any thoughts about where you think remote viewing might go in terms of it? It seems it seems like more military and more like police are drawn to that form. I'm not saying only, but that's the perception. And is this going to become, even though it does seem to be studied for a while and, and there are books on it, do you think more people might get involved? It could be used for all kinds of things. Yes, I hope so. I mean, I hope it's used for positive things and for bringing us together. Uh, there's nothing more positive than knowing that we are connected to every other human on this planet, as well as every other being on any other planet, no matter how remote, and uh, everything else in the universe. All is one. You know, it's the old, you know, Buddhism. Uh, it's it's in, uh, you know, uh, Indian uh, Hindu philosophy. Uh, and, and uh, you know, there seems to be a concept of that pretty much in every culture. Uh, so it, it, I think it's something that we know, but when we put it in practice, maybe it can make us better humans. And, and, and ultimately, I mean, again, you're not going to bomb the person that you are one with. I, I believe that it can. I think that um, just like any tool as well, I think once it hits the, the larger population, that's whenever creative stuff and good positive stuff can come out of it. And during the pandemic, mm -hmm. the gateway tapes themselves, which are from the Monroe Institute, really took off on social media. And so you had a mm -hmm. lot of young, you know, adults who were now all of a sudden being introduced to these ideas and working on this. I mean, that's how I attempted remote viewing was I didn't it, they don't say specifically that it's remote viewing but that's what the meditative process is is that it gets you out of yourself and kind of into anything that you want to see and it, for me it was shocking results so I think it's very interesting that I think whatever use can come out of it will be whatever we you know uh, take and use it as a tool to be positive with it you know it's easy to see how the military would take it and try to make it a tool to you know, yeah. use <laughs> to uh, block things that, yeah, With of course. Everything. Well, I, I mean, like the space to be... program came from the V2 rockets that the Werner von Braun, you know, designed for Hitler to bomb, yeah. you know, Liverpool with. Uh, and that, that was where, you know, I mean, it, it, it seems like, you know, that's what the military does, but they're the guys with the bucks. Mm -hmm. uh, the trick is to let's get it away from those guys and, and see what positive stuff we can do with that technology. I think that could be another show because I'm a more pessimist um, based on uh, the Buddhist and yoga teachings is they downplay any psychic abilities and because mm. sometimes we're not ready for them. Mm. And it mm. seems like remote viewing, you, you can have a probably a, a not developed psyche and still learn to do it. So mm -hmm. yeah. there might have to be some kind of correlation with also developing our, our emotions and our balance in ourselves so that we would use it. In, in useful ways. So I, that could be a, a whole nother show, I think. Hence all the mystery schools <laughs> so. and all of ancient history. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm kind of like, you know, a Frisbeteria and you die and you wind up on somebody's roof as a Frisbee, right? <laughs> but, but, but I, you know, I mean, as far as spirituality and religions, I mean, we, there's stuff to learn from them all. I was raised as a Christian. I threw out a lot of bathwater, kept the baby, but I sort of like a mystical Christian, magic Christian. Yeah. You know, there's a movie <laughs> Ringo <laughs> and Peter Sellers were in. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think that you just have to find what works for you and, and what makes your life better and what's positive in your life. I well agree. said. Well, thank you mm -hmm. for coming on the show. We are at the end of our show and we so appreciate you coming back. And thank you, Matt, for co-hosting. Thanks for again. having me. And thank you all for listening in. Join us next time as we continue to explore the esoteric and the obscure together. Have a great week.